Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. We'll profile a couple of hitters seemingly going in opposite directions, and we have good news for an Angels hurler. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not it. had the three co-brews yet. It worked great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, April 3rd. I'm Al Melkier, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper and DVR. We've got a couple of little news items, but we'll get to the uh, player profiles. I think that's going to be uh, the, the meat of the show today. But we do have some good news about Griffin Canning. He, uh, of course, uh, has uh, uh, an elbow injury that he's been dealing with, had a PRP injection in that elbow, and now he's been cleared to throw and may be ready to throw off a mound as soon as, as, soon as late April, uh, according to a report from Jeff Fletcher. Yeah, I think with Canning, it's really just a question of how much do we trust the Angels with the PRP treatments. They've had pretty bad luck as it comes to uh, pitchers needing Tommy John surgery in recent years. A lot of times they, they try to go this route and the pitcher ends up needing Tommy John anyway. And I just go back to when this news first broke in February, the MRI that they took of Canning's elbow showed, quote, chronic changes to the UCL. End quote. Like that to me just doesn't seem like something that will get better with rest and a PRP injection. I'm rooting for him. I want him to be healthy. I just think he is kind of an end game sort of lottery ticket at this point, given the uncertainty. The extra time to rest and to, to ramp up before you know baseball comes back again, it, it certainly works in his favor and at least increases the chances of the Angels having him healthy and as a fixture of their rotation, but when I look at the overall track record of pitchers in general trying to come back with that treatment and just angels specifically, it makes me a little bit less optimistic about canning in particular. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, wild cards here, in, you know, most of which you already mentioned, but you know, also the fact too that he'll be part of a six-man rotation uh, with the Angels, and that's just something that further limits his value. And yet, the upside is significant enough there that I agree with you. I think he's, uh, if you've got upcoming drafts, that he is somebody to put on your radar as a, uh, a late rounder, uh, a potential flyer uh, in the end game. So we have another bit of news here that. You know, probably doesn't strike a lot of people as significant, but it, it sort of caught my eye. Uh, the Tigers, uh, prior to the uh, the recent deadline that we had last weekend for the the roster freeze, they uh, this was just reported more recently, but they released Jordy Mercer and Zach Godley, and then re-signed both players to minor league contracts. Now Mercer, of course doesn't really have a place to play. Uh, if he does come up at some point, he would profile as a, you know, a bench player. But uh, Zach Godley, I, I took a little bit of a closer look at him, DVR, because he was really pretty reliable for fantasy not too long ago. And I took a, 
an even closer look at his 2018 season. 2019, I don't think there's any way to put a positive face on that. But 2018, he statistically really sort of dropped off in the second half. But if you dig just one level deeper and look at the peripherals, they weren't bad. I mean, he had a high walk rate, but that's pretty typical for Godley. But a 24 a 24% strikeout rate, just a 0.49 home run per nine-inning ratio in the second half, which is outstanding. And Sierra and XFIT both liked him enough to uh, put him under a four for that ERA estimate, but his actual ERA was almost five. It was 4.93. So... I don't think that anybody needs to worry about Zach Godley in, in 12-team leagues, but is there enough and certainly recent enough uh, good indicators there for us to uh, you know give him a second look? I think he's more interesting to me if he becomes a reliever. I think as a starter, there are still several pitchers in the mix in Detroit. They didn't trade Matthew Boyd. I think Spencer Turnbull has a spot. Uh, Daniel Norris's velocity was up this spring. They signed Yvonne Nova in the offseason, and they still have Jordan Zimmerman playing out the end of his contract. So they have five guys without Godley, and that's without mentioning Michael Fulmer, who you know is going to miss at least a good chunk of the season. It doesn't mention any of the top prospects, uh, Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize, uh, you know, Matt Manning, Alex Fajardo, like even Franklin Perez, kind of the forgotten Tigers pitching prospect. All of those pitchers could be in the mix for at least some big league games this year as well and I think that's what leaves me looking at Godley and saying hey maybe he fits better in a bullpen that doesn't have a lot of solutions right now maybe that's their best path to turning him into a player that can be traded at some point as well we've seen a lot of you know struggling back-end starters make that transition successfully and with Godley I don't think he was ever the same after the installation of the humidor at Chase Field like the key for him is the curveball and it just seemed like the command of that pitch was not the same for him once that humidor was installed. I don't know if there's a direct relationship there, but that's when things started to break down on Godley a bit. Uh, those second half numbers from 2018 do offer a glimmer of hope, but I think his best chance of being a really effective big league pitcher would probably be in a seventh or eighth inning role. And you know, who's to say if he has success there that he couldn't end up getting saves at some point? No, I think that's an excellent point, and uh, that's a route I hadn't really looked at for Godley, but uh, that's not a deep bullpen in Detroit, and Joe Jimenez certainly had his ups and downs uh, in 2019 as the closer, and yeah, maybe there's you know low uh, low probability path, but a path nonetheless for Godley to have uh, some fantasy value at some point in 2020. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, helping you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code BASEBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com. Enter the promo code BASEBALL for 25% off your first order. 
I figured a good time to uh, pluck one of our player profile pairings uh, out of our sheet. And uh, I know Michael Beller said he did this randomly, but we've got uh, a former Diamondback and Paul Goldschmidt, a former Tiger and Nick Castellanos. And I think that they do provide an interesting contrast because Castellanos really, I think, increased his uh, perceived fantasy value both by streaking with the Cubs at the end of 2019 and then signing with the Reds and getting himself a really nice home ballpark. And as far as Goldschmidt goes, a, a definitively down season in 2019. So let's start with Castellanos uh, and that uh, Cubs partial season that he's coming off of. He hit 321 with 16 homers and 21 doubles in 225 plate appearances. That is just staggering. But he also swung, uh, he also swung and missed. I almost invented a new uh, verb tense there, swang. Uh, a lot more whiffs for uh, Castellanos as a Cub. So where do you see him DVR with you know, all these different factors to consider the performance of the Cubs, the new team, new environment and all that? Where does he land for you? I keep coming back to the fact that Nick Castellanos is now in the most hitter-friendly environment he's ever been in as far as home parks go with the move to Cincinnati this offseason. I love the lineup around him. I think it's much better than most of the lineups we've seen around him in Detroit for the last three years at least. And it's been a while since they had uh, quality up and down that group. So I think there's a reason to believe that Nick Castellanos has actually a path to maybe hit 30-plus home runs for the first time in his career. And yeah, that optimism is definitely fueled by the second half with the Cubs. I mean, 16 homers in 51 games is a remarkable pace. I think even if you just look at 2018 and then adjust that into the more hitter-friendly environment and assume a slightly more normal baseball, you can still see Nick Castellanos as a 30-home run guy in Cincinnati with maybe a 35-home run sort of ceiling. One thing I've always liked about him, too, is that he's usually a really nice source of batting average. So he's not going to steal bases, but the run production could actually tick up in a better lineup. The batting average floor is really high. Probably a guy that gets discounted just a little bit in drafts because of the lack of speed, but I would not hold that against him at all. I think he's a really safe kind of fifth or sixth round pick, kind of an easy top 75 overall consideration for me. Did you see anything in that roughly one third of a season with the Cubs that made you think that maybe there's an even higher ceiling? And I get it. You know, you want to play it more conservatively and go with the larger sample for sure. But was there anything in that smaller sample of games that made you think maybe there was a real adjustment there? I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to how he did it in that in that partial season and you know the fly ball rate was up slightly but we're talking a, a 1.5 percent drop in ground ball rate like that's not enough to move the needle i think a lot of it was nick castellanos had some bad luck on home run to fly ball compared to his career norms in the first half and he had some very good luck in the second half uh, did you spot anything that changed with his approach that would lead you to believe that he unlocked a, another level of power I did not. Um, so I, I'm definitely treating him the same way that you are and not just to go with the larger sample, but just because, no, I didn't see anything in the numbers that supported a, a real lasting difference. And I came across in, in that search and looking for some rationale to treat him differently, a piece by uh, Craig Edwards at Fangraphs, really interesting. And he looked at 30-game rolling averages. I never thought about that as a way to look at Castellanos, but it makes a whole lot of sense. 
And he'd had a streak like that that was very similar both in terms of duration and in terms of um, the the magnitude of power increase in each of the three preceding seasons with the Tigers. So really what he did with the Cubs, it was just really sort of coincidental, but wasn't really anything new for Castellanos. So no, I, I don't see anything that's really different for him. Yeah, and maybe a surge like that, you know, you get a little more mileage out of it if it happens at the right time of year. Second half, you have warmer temperatures, the ball flies a little better, especially early in the season in Detroit. You know, you're getting a lot of 40 and 50 degree games with you know, suboptimal hitting conditions too. So if you heat up and the weather heats up, then the magnitude of that second half can be even you know, more impactful. You know, when you said that, that just took me right back to Tiger Stadium. And I do mean, by the way, Tiger Stadium and not Comerica Park. Um, <laughs> sitting in some early season games there and, and being chilled. So, Oh, yeah. I remember I, sitting I outside uh, at Old Comiskey. This still would have been because it was the mid-90s when I was a kid. I went for, I don't think it was opening day, but it was it was an early April game there. And there were snow flurries coming down. And it was not comfortable <laughs> i, I yeah. love baseball but even as a kid i was thinking wow this is this is really cold i, I don't i don't know if we're going to stay to the end of this game and yeah, i'm going to be okay if, if my dad wants to leave early yeah and if you're thinking that when you're a kid then it's it's legitimately cold for sure <laughs> uh well, let's uh, let's take a turn here and talk a little bit about paul goldschmidt and you know you made a reference to castellanos having a sort of microscopic increase in his fly ball rate when he went to chicago but i was really surprised to find that goldschmidt not only as a cardinal but in his last season with arizona did have a, a more than a microscopic increase in his fly ball rate uh, and that was obviously surprising because his power was down last year, hit with less exit velocity on flies and liners. Uh, in fact, the lowest average exit velocity on those airborne, airborne balls in three seasons for him. Uh, so I think that the, the drop in power for him is something that we maybe could be worried about. But um, the batting average came way down, especially on balls in play, and I could not find anything to really support that DVR. So... I, this sort of escaped me before when I was doing my my draft prep, but I'm starting to think that Goldschmidt maybe could be a, a sneaky value this year. Yeah, I've got him priced pretty similarly to Nick Castellanos. I think Goldschmidt has a slightly higher floor, but it's not much. I think the batting average floor in particular might have changed, in part because if you look at the last two seasons, so 2018, the final year in Arizona, 2019, the first year in St. Louis, Paul Goldschmidt's launch angle, jumped up the average launch angle from 15 to 17 was in the 11 degree to 13 degree range which is kind of right in that more optimal range of outcomes the last two seasons though he's jumped into 15.3 and 15.7 degrees and with that we've seen the range for his xbas go down to the 262 to 272 level whereas in those previous three years 272 was the lower end for his xba Mm. and the high end was 287 and 288 uh, so I think that needs to be kind of factored into what his floor is. But for a guy that drove in 97, hit 34 home runs, and scored 97 runs last year, I mean, that's a down year for Paul Goldschmidt. That's a good year for most players. I think maybe we're overcorrecting as a market on, on what he brings to the table just because he's a, a relative disappointment to some very lofty expectations. So I do like him quite a bit. He's often kind of lumped in maybe a little after Anthony Rizzo, right around Jose Abreu as kind of the older, boring, former 
early round first baseman who are now uh, early middle round. Not even I don't know if early middle round is a fair description, but guys that have fallen from the first two rounds who still have really good core skills. Yeah, and no, I think that's fair. And I was really rating him a little bit lower than that in drafts this year. So I do have one more coming up. Maybe I'll wind up drafting Paul Goldschmidt in that one. We shall see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about our out-of-the-park giveaways. Uh, we're we're going to bring this to a close. Uh, we have one more to give away. But as I mentioned on Thursday's show, that somebody made the very good suggestion uh, and I don't recall if this is somebody who's actually in the, the running to win this way, but they made the suggestion of why not give this to somebody who got every single trivia question right, but didn't yet win a key. And I thought, great idea. So there are actually two people who got all uh, each of the uh, eight previous questions right. Uh, they are Colin, who goes by uh, Ginobili the Goat on Twitter, and Jimmy Johnston, who goes by at JJ Terp. They were the only ones. So I'm going to think of a question. I'm going to send it to each of them. If they both get it right, we'll, I'll do a drawing uh, out of two. And if one gets it right, that person wins the key. And if nobody gets it right, then I guess we'll come back here for one final uh, trivia question and giveaway. So I'll keep you posted on that and also let you know what the uh, trivia question is and see if you can get it right. So uh, I'll be back with that next week. And in the meantime, check out our latest featured read. This one's from Michael Waterloo on The Athletic. And DVR, we talked about this, I think, wasn't on Wednesday. We talked about uh, points leagues drafts. And I said, you know, there's really nowhere to run out and get Dynasty points leagues rankings. Well, this isn't for Dynasty, but at least it gets you halfway there. Uh, Michael Waterloo gives us points league rankings for 2020. So check that out. 2020 Fantasy Baseball points league rankings. Uh, author is Michael Waterloo. Do check that out. And that's going to be all for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, check out our three-month free trial or get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseballin15. And everything that we produce is included with the subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier. We'll see you back here on Monday. <laughs>